Some of you may recall a story I once told of two brothers who lived on adjoining farmland properties side by side, sharing machinery and equipment, trading goods and labor as needed, and in this partnership, enjoying a marvelous life of flourishing. One day, however, the long collaboration that these two brothers had enjoyed broke apart. Uh, it began with a very small misunderstanding, but that misunderstanding grew into a major difference, finally exploding into a war of words, bitter, bitter words volleyed back and forth between these two siblings, followed by a terrible silence and separation. And one morning, a, a rap came on the door of the elder brother of the two of them, and he opened the door to find, standing outside, a, a carpenter with a toolbox. I'm looking for work, the carpenter said. Is there anything that I can do for you? And, and the brother thought for a moment, and then he replied, why, yes, actually, I've got some work for you to do. Do you see that farm over there across that creek? That is my enemy, he said. That's my enemy. And, and there used to be this, this little meadow between us, but, but that man over there took a bulldozer to the river levee, and he made that creek that now runs between us, and he did that just to spite me. And I'm going to do him one better. I want you to take that pile of lumber over there by the barn, and I want you to go down there to the edge of that creek, and I want you to build me a fence with it. I want a fence eight feet high so that I will never, ever have to look at his place or his face for the rest of my life. And the carpenter just looked at him. And he just nodded and he said, I, I think I understand. Let me get to work. Point me to the nails and the post hole digger, and I will try and address this need. Well, with that, the farmer um, helped the laborer uh, get the materials ready, and then the farmer went off on uh, his errands for the day in town, and it was about sunset when the farmer returned to inspect the work of the carpenter and found that the man was nearly done with his job. And to the farmer's utter shock, he found that the carpenter hadn't actually built a fence with his lumber at all. Instead, he saw stretching from one side of the creek to the other a very well-built bridge. And to his further amazement, he saw walking across the bridge the figure of his brother with his hand outstretched. And the brother said to him, how amazing that after all I've done and said that you would want to build this bridge toward me. And the two of them clasped hands and reunited after all those years. Long ago, another carpenter spoke these words. You have heard that it was said, 
to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which in the nearest English translation means something like, you worthless spitwad. Anybody who, who treats his brother, speaks to his brother like this, is, says this carpenter, answerable to the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling council. In other words, if you make a habit of working out your issues with other people by talking badly to them or talking badly about them, then others are going to judge you for this, rightly. Responsible people, and that's what the Sanhedrin was, it was the group responsible for the tenor and tone of the culture of the city, uh, other people are going to challenge you on this particular behavior because it helps nobody. It actually poisons the climate of, of every circle where it's happening. But that's not even close to your biggest risk, the carpenter goes on to say. I tell you and I quote that anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. In other words, if your usual way of handling the differences and grievances that you have with somebody else is to say, fooey with you, I just write you off. Do not think that is harmless, says the carpenter. For you are actually in danger of letting hell itself into your heart because hell is really all about hatred and the breaking off and the giving up on and the dismissing of relationships. Don't do this. Don't give in to this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, then leave your gift there in front of the altar. In other words, recognize that fixing broken relationships is more important to God than the rituals of, of religion. That, that matters so much more to him that there's a, a divide out there, a gap out there that you could repair uh, than, than all the stuff you do in the synagogue or in church. So first, he says, go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And then he underlines the idea further. He says, in Matthew 5, 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. In fact, as you are, as you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard. Don't just, just, don't, don't just wish for it, hope for it, tilt slightly towards it. Try hard to be reconciled to him on the way. Why? Because as bad as things are between you and that other person right now, they could get worse. In fact, he may drag you off to the judge, the carpenter says, and the judge turns you over to the officer and the officer throws you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. 
Ask anyone who has ever had a, a family dispute or a friend or a work relationship really go south, and they will tell you, I wish, I wish I dealt with that early. Broken relationships have this pattern of escalating and increasing and creating so much more damage than we ever saw at the beginning, and we end up living with these terrible, terrible regrets. So with some exceptions, it is so much better to invest in building not a fence, but a bridge while we have the time. And if you think about it, this is what God does. This is what God models for us in so many powerful ways. Of all of the beings in the universe, is there anyone who could have more rightly written off the relationship with sinful human beings than God? Is there anybody that would have better grounds for just dismissing the miserable behavior of the other side than God? Because after all, God had given us absolutely everything that we wanted or needed in life. He asked almost nothing of humanity except that we love him and seek to replicate his love with our neighbors. He gave human beings everything, asked almost nothing of us except that which would actually be in our best interests. Even the commandments of God, he gives only out of love for us to lead us into a way of flourishing that's in our best interests. But when humanity rejected him, and, and, and pushed away God's way, when, when humanity wronged God so profoundly, when every natural sensibility would have been, I suppose, to erect a permanent fence between us so long and so high that human beings would be left forever on their own to suffer the consequences of their own bad behavior, when God would have every reason just to separate himself from us so he would be spared further insult and further injury, God did something staggering. He took the lumber that we gave him and he used it to build a bridge that crossed the gap between us, the gap between divine perfection and human sin. God built a bridge in Jesus Christ. So here is the, the big theological idea I want to stress today. I want to give you one theological idea. I want to give you one practical application, if I may. Here's the theological idea. God works hard at reconciliation. I mean, God works with blood, sweat, and tears at reconciliation. He does not stand on his pride. He, he humbles himself and takes the form of a servant. He exercises great patience, stunning perseverance. He travels long distances. He endures great pain. He risks further rejection. He works 
really hard at redeeming broken relationships because life-changing love, life-changing love is very high on his agenda. And so God works hard at reconciliation. To put it another way, uh, Jesus puts it this way, our Father in heaven is a peacemaker. Note that I did not say a peacekeeper. God isn't interested in just keeping thing, things peaceful, as in peace and quiet. In fact, there are homes and there are workplaces and there are communities that you and I are involved in that look peaceful when an actual cold war is going on and fences are very high in those places. God does not want to keep a false peace like that. He wants to make real peace. And real peace, as you probably know and have experienced, doesn't get made without confronting difficult issues, without having very, very hard conversations, naming stubborn sins. Real peace doesn't happen without honest confession, without genuine repentance, and without risky forgiveness. Reconciliation almost always requires a daring sacrifice of some kind, it, it requires overcoming every understandable impulse that tells us it would much be better to, to just put up a fence, a higher fence. And God works hard at this, at this work of reconciliation. Which brings us to the, to the practical application of all this. And, and this is what I'm hoping that you will take home with you today and let sit inside of you as a seed that, that bears wonderful fruit in the days to come. The, the practical idea I want to suggest to you is this. God wants us to work hard at reconciliation too. He, he wants us to engage the work of reconciliation harder than some of us have. I love the way 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19 puts it. He puts these theological and practical ideas together. In Christ, Paul tells us, God was reconciling the world unto himself. He was not counting men and women's sins against them, and now he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The question I want to invite you to sit with today is how committed are you to the work and the message of reconciliation? When was the last time you worked hard, really hard, to mend a broken relationship? Um, sometimes I think the reason that we don't do this is because we're not sure how. Uh, we just don't even know where to begin to, to deal with the brokenness, the pain, the, the division that has been there, it seems, for so long. Uh, relational peacemaking is as difficult sometimes as engineering the construction of a bridge. It's, it's a little piece here and a little piece there and a careful movement in this direction. It, it's a difficult business to reconcile something so broken. And, and if you're looking for a manual as to how to go about the work of reconciliation, let me recommend a resource I've 
I mentioned to you at least once before. Pick up a copy of Ken Sandy's marvelous book, The Peacemaker, a, a biblical guide for resolving personal conflict. This is a book that all of us, I think, should have on our shelves and will benefit richly from, from reading and taking, taking in and applying. My purpose today, however, isn't really to dwell with you on the how of reconciliation. Uh, as our church's discipleship vision says, really before we will ever make a serious investment in the how of following Jesus, we have to develop an intention to follow that way first. And so my, my simple goal today is to try and motivate us all to fire myself back up again and you uh, in a personal way to, to say to ourselves, I'm going after it. I'm going to work much harder at, at crossing the creek with that person. Uh, I'm going to try and do what I can to build a bridge towards that individual that, that God is bringing to my mind. And, and every time you work hard at, at trying to establish a real peace between you and somebody that you're separated from uh, through some misunderstanding or ignorance or, or injustice or conflict, every time you do that, you are, Jesus says, showing yourself to be a child of the Heavenly Father, a true child of the Heavenly Father. In fact, he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We are never so much like our Heavenly Father as when we're doing the work of peacemaking, of closing the gaps that exist relationally in our world. A few servants, I think, got this idea, this biblical vision better than, than Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He dedicated his life, as you know, sacrificially to this, this reconciliation process. And he saw how important it was that human beings seek to build these bridges with God's help across the various creeks that separate us in this world. In a real sense, Dr. King once wrote, all of life is interrelated. All of us are caught up in an inescapable network of mutuality. We're tied together in a single garment of destiny. And whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. And I love this last part. If we do not learn to live together as friends, we will die apart as fools. We can't allow one end of the boat to sink and not expect the whole boat to go down. So in light of this, you and I, I think, are presented with this really serious challenge. I mean, the work of reconciliation is so central to the gospel's message, and it's so central to the mission of Jesus and his example, that it ought to disturb us if it isn't central to us. If we can't look back at this past year and think of some relationship that we repaired. If we can't 
think of a relationship we're now working on, trying to build a stronger bridge towards. Are we really following Jesus? Can we say that we're truly following in the way of our Lord? So with whom are you and I going to be a gap closer this week? Who's that person? Bring that face to your mind, that name to your mind. With whom are we going to be the gap closer? Is there somebody in your family or, or in the field of, of former friends in your life uh, with whom you are aware you are separated by a river of sin or hardship or pain or or injury? Is there somebody in your workplace or maybe in your school or maybe even here in your church or your neighborhood who has something against you, as Jesus said, or maybe you have something against them? Is there somebody of a different race or different political persuasion or somebody sitting or living near you but across a great divide? Who is that person? Let God bring that person's faith and name to your mind and to your heart. There are so many divisions in our world today. We've, gotten, we've almost surrendered to them, haven't we? Um, people have grown so accustomed to, to, to spite and to spitting, to suing and sealing themselves off from that kind, from that kind of person. But Jesus says, please don't let hell have your heart like this. Don't let it happen. Don't sit here in the temple thinking, oh, this is pleasing to God. I'm really honoring God. If they're out there in the world, you put up a fence against your brother or your sister. Work really hard at reconciliation, Jesus is saying in these various teachings. Work like I myself modeled when I laid on lumber, literally to create a bridge. Why die apart as fools when by the grace of God we might learn to live together as friends? Make no mistake about it, being here on this day matters to hear God's word and his challenge to us. But closing gaps is one of the things we're meant to do with the other six. Please pray with me. Lord, even as I, I say these words and issue these challenges, I am made uncomfortable by them myself. This is hard work. This is, this is a this is not natural. Um, so my prayer, Lord, is that, is that you would do the supernatural work in me needed and in my brothers and sisters here needed to, to create the motivation to begin to close those gaps. Incite in us, Lord, a holy imagination for, for how glorious it will be when that relationship is what it was meant to be. May you get the glory for it, Lord. 
And may we find the way to walk into that blessing. For we pray in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.